Mark chapter 6. Start at verse 14. And King Herod heard of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And Herod said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Verse 15, others said, This is Elias. And others said, It is that prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison. For Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he, Herod, had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against John the Baptist, and would have killed him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And her mother said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded John the Baptist's head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel and the damsel gave it to her mother. He didn't want to kill John the Baptist, but because of his oath's sake, killed John the Baptist. Sometimes it's better to just change your oath and say, I can't do this. I don't care what I've promised. Pam Paget rented a room from a woman who was twice divorced and attended the singles class at the church Pam attended. When this woman began seeking another husband, Pam warned her that according to the Bible, the divorced woman who remarries commits adultery.
This woman said to Pam, I don't care what the Bible says. Pam was so shocked that a woman who calls herself a Christian and attends a church didn't care what the Bible says. This woman found a man in the singles class at church and planned to marry him. Pam went to this man and told him that it would be adultery if he married this divorced woman. In Matthew 5.32, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. If a man marries a divorced woman, he commits adultery, says Jesus. And Pam shared that with this man. If the divorced woman is a faithful wife and she remarries, she commits adultery. But the husband who divorced her will be the cause of her adultery. Jesus also said in Mark 10, And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another, committeth adultery against her. Verse 12, And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. The man at the singles class, after Pam spoke these things to him, he said he would think about what she had said. But he went ahead with the planned marriage. Pam knew the maid of honor, so she went to this woman and told her that if these people married, they would commit adultery, according to the Bible. This maid of honor said to Pam, I know it will be adultery, but they will marry anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and be the maid of honor. When Pam told me this story, I was reminded of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.22. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. At that same time, Pam moved to housing that was farther away from that church group. So she stopped going to the singles class but she continued going to the main service on Sunday mornings. The singles always sat together at the 11 o'clock service. Pam went to the place where they always sat and sat there, but no one from the singles class came to sit in that area. After a while, Pam looked back and saw them sitting together in a new part of the auditorium. So then the next Sunday when Pam went to church, she sat in the new section where the singles would sit, but the singles didn't sit there. They moved back to the old section. The third time Pam went to church, the singles were already sitting together in the auditorium. Pam went and sat down beside them, and every one of them, without a word, got up and moved to another part of the auditorium. Then it was clear to Pam that they did not want to sit with her 
and Pam cried out to God, What have I done? What have I done wrong? A few weeks later, a woman from that church came to Pam and said, I have a word from God for you. God knows how the people in the singles class are treating you, and God wants you to know you told them what he wanted you to tell them. Pam was so grateful to God for sending her this information. When you speak the real word of God, even to a church group, it's really not unlikely that they will hate and despise you and want no more to do with you. There's a young man from the Philippines who identified himself to me by email as being a pastor. He said he had read some of my writings and he was really liked them. Then he shared one of the writings with the church group. He was living in a house owned by that church group. He had a wife and a young son. He shared with them some teaching that I had done concerning calling yourself reverend. There is no place in the Bible where any man calls himself reverend. In one of the Psalms, we, can, we read, Holy and reverend is God's name. The Apostle Paul did not call himself reverend. He called himself an apostle and a teacher and a preacher. In the letters Peter wrote to the church, he identified himself as an apostle and an elder. By doing this, this shows us that Peter was married and had multiple children. Because if you look at Titus 1, the instruction concerning an elder is that he must be the husband of one wife and have faithful children. So we know by that that Peter was married and had children. We also know by scripture in the Gospels, Jesus went to Peter's home and Peter's mother-in-law was sick of a fever. Jesus healed her and the mother-in-law of Peter got up and ministered to them after Jesus healed her. Peter was married and had children. The Apostle Peter warns us as follows. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-14 Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When you share the word of God, even with the church, you are certainly doing the right thing in the sight of God when the Holy Spirit reminds you of that word to share and you yield to the Holy Spirit. You are doing the right thing in the sight of God. But we shouldn't be surprised if the people in the church group attack us. This young pastor in the Philippines shared what I, the teaching I had done on the subject of calling yourself reverend, that no man called himself reverend in the Bible, and that we go by 
what the Bible says. That's our pattern. And that to call yourself reverend is to try to gain honor and respect of the people. This young pastor said those ministers around him loved to call themselves reverend, and the people loved to call them reverend. Idolatry. After he shared this with his church group, they were furious with him. They demanded that he vacate the church property in the next week. He could no longer live at the church property. And I suspect they told him they would no longer let him preach. I didn't hear from him for about three years. An earthquake hit the Philippines. And then he wrote an email to me asking me for money. He said the earthquake destroyed their housing. By his three years' silence, I felt he had recanted the word of God on the subject of calling yourself a reverend, and he had sided again with the church group and was living on church property. When you share the word of God, especially with the church, you do not expect to be persecuted. You're in for a surprise because often those people who are attending church are the ones who will hate you and persecute you. Reading again from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, which is the word of God, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, On their part, he, the word, is evil spoken of, but on your part, he, the word, is glorified. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul gave some instruction to Timothy. And this same instruction applies as instruction for us today. Paul said, Preach the word, Be instant, in season, out of season. That means that if you're with someone and the Holy Spirit calls a scripture to your mind, speak that scripture. If the Holy Spirit calls a concept to your mind, speak that teaching. Be instant, in season, out of season. We don't make lists ahead of time of everything we're going to say to a person. Instead, be led by the Spirit of God who does the work of God. When the Spirit of God leads you to speak something, bringing it to your mind, speak it. Don't hold back. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Exhort means to urge earnestly by advice and warning. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. With all long-suffering, and doctrine. For the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. One of the biggest fables I've ever heard in the churches today is this. Of course you can marry a divorced woman. Of course a divorced woman can remarry. God wants you to be happy. Of course you can be a homosexual and a lesbian. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to conform yourself to his image, agreeing with him, agreeing with what he set forth in the Holy Bible. Second Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is inspired by God, says the Apostle Paul. All scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for us, for correction, for reproof, so that we will know the truth. God wants us to be in agreement with him. Concerning homosexuals and lesbians, Romans chapter 1, verse 26. As we read this, you will see what God thinks about homosexuals and lesbians. And we cause our thinking to be conformed to that which God thinks. Verse 26, Romans chapter 1. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So God calls homosexual and lesbian acts, quote, vile affections, end quote. So we see what God thinks about it. In the Old Testament, there are a great many scriptures about sodomites. You can type sodomite into your Bible and it'll bring up all of these scriptures. And it shows what God thinks about homosexuals, sodomites. But God clearly states in the New Testament what he thinks about them, starting at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. So what does God think about divorce? Well, we see that in Mark 10. The Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him about that. And Jesus said, 
Moses gave you a bill of divorcement because of the hardness of your heart. That's what we see when we see divorce. Each one of the people involved have a bone to pick, so to speak, against the other because they have hardened their heart against the other. Most of the time, when we are in strife with someone else, it is because of a hardening of the heart. One time, Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves to feed the multitude. His own disciples did not see the miracle, and we read it was because they had hardened their heart against Jesus and that miracle. Why? Because they wanted to do something else. They wanted Jesus to send the multitude away to get their own food. Jesus said, we'll feed them. They said, well, how are we going to feed them? Well, Jesus had a way, but they hardened their heart against Jesus. When we harden our heart, we often blind ourselves. Instead, when we are in conflict with that other person, if we will pray, God will often reconcile us to the other person. And very often he corrects us and how we are wrong. And when we see how we've been wrong in the situation, it's pretty easy to forget what the other person did. Concerning speaking the word of God, I believe we see in the scriptures that Timothy was a little bit afraid to speak the word of God. Paul told him not to be afraid. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, says Paul. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, 
keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. In John chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said to his disciples, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. They try to kill us by stopping us from speaking. My own cousin tried so hard to stop me from speaking the things of God. Jesus said, Don't be surprised if your foes are they of your own household, if they try to stop you from speaking the word of God. And these things will they do unto you, says Jesus, because they have not known the Father nor me. I have prayed several times, asking God to save that cousin. Because I know she doesn't know God. She's attended Church of Christ. Since she was a baby, she was taken to Church of Christ. She is the most fearful person I have ever met in my entire life. I know she does not have the Spirit of God. Well, the Church of Christ taught against this for years, for decades. One of their favorite scriptures in Church of Christ is the one in Acts, I think, too, repent and be baptized, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They didn't quote it that way. Maybe they do now, but they didn't when I was there in the 50s. They quoted it as follows. Repent and be baptized, period. They didn't talk a thing about, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, because they were afraid of the Holy Spirit. They thought the Holy Spirit might throw you down on the floor and cause you to roll across the floor, like the Holy Rollers in the early 1900s. They thought the Holy Spirit would take over your body and make you do things contrary to your own will. I've never found the Holy Spirit to do those things. The Holy Spirit gives information so that we can know the way of God and choose the way of God in our lives. Two scriptures which God called to my attention 40 some odd years ago concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Four things the Holy Spirit does for us, according to these two sections of Scripture in John. He teaches us all things. He reminds us of everything Jesus has said to us, of all scripture. He guides us into all truth and he shows us things to come. First Corinthians chapter 2, there's a great deal written about the Holy Spirit. 
He searches the heart of God to reveal to us the will of God. He doesn't speak of himself. Everything he speaks to us, he's heard from God. And he shows us exactly what to do in the situations of this present life. He does it by just bringing a memory, bringing something into our mind, a concept, or a scripture. He just brings it to our mind. All of a sudden, we remember a scripture. That's the Holy Spirit reminding us of a scripture. There was a Baptist woman whose husband died, and she'd been married to Jerry for, I I don't know, 60 years or so. We were in high school together, all three of us. I was visiting with her when she was in her 80s. Jerry had died. And she told me this story. She said, I went into Brad Pinkston's grocery store one day. We lived in a little village that had two grocery stores. She said, I went into Brad Pinkston's grocery store one day and I saw a young man. And I just knew immediately I was going to marry him. It was a very strange thing for a stranger to be out in that part of the country. It was out in the country. She turned to Brad Pinkston and said, Who is that? And he said, His name is Jerry Greer. He's a nephew of such and such, and he's helping them farm. He's just visiting here. And Wynette replied and said, I'm going to marry him. Brad said, oh, you shouldn't say things like that. Now, Brad Pinkston was a big deal Nazarene. He should have known about the Holy Spirit as a church person. But see, church people in the Baptist church, the Nazarene church, the Church of Christ, in places like that, probably in the Presbyterian, Methodist, all those standard churches, the church members were taught to be fearful of the Holy Spirit. They were basically taught to depend on yourselves. God's given you a mind. You do it. But Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Jesus said he could do nothing of his own self. God showed me this scripture when I was first born again, and I was amazed at it. I said, Jesus can do nothing. He's the Son of God. If Jesus can do nothing of his own self, it was clear to me I could do nothing. And then God taught me about the Holy Spirit. You depend on the Holy Spirit and learn to hear him. And he speaks to you, and you follow him. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, Wynette was just terrified when I said to her, Oh, that was a word of wisdom from God. She just got deathly silent. I could tell she was very frightened. I've seen my Church of Christ cousin do the same thing. She was rejoicing in a story that I told her until I said that was the Holy Spirit telling me that. Then she didn't rejoice. She got very silent and very fearful. The Holy Spirit is a great gift to the church. 
He teaches us all things, reminds us of everything Jesus has said, guides us into all truth, shows us things to come, shows us the will of God in the circumstances that we are facing in this current life so that we can know the way to go that is God's way in this life, in the specific problems of this life. What does God want us to do? That's what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. It's a great gift. But I have found the churches very often to be teaching against the Holy Spirit and their members are fearful, terribly fearful of going in the way of the Holy Spirit or even talking about the Holy Spirit or even recognizing that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Look at these two scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And another scripture on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 15, Paul says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? And then he says in verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? When we are born again, God seals us with the Spirit of God, And the Holy Spirit of God lives in us to guide us into all truth, teach us all things, remind us of everything Jesus has said so that we will not go in the way of the flesh but in the way of the Spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, we read verse 9, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Holy Spirit is a great gift to the church, to us, the church. When I lived in Lubbock, Texas, I went to a museum dinner at downtown Lubbock. It was in a building which was about five stories high. I was sitting at a table with about five other people. A woman proudly pointed out the window and said, That's our church. Where we were sitting, it looked out onto the parking lot of the First Methodist Church in Lubbock, Texas. And she said, that's our church. And I said, we are the church. She became very angry. And she said, I'm not a church. That's our church, pointing at the building. And she said to the other people, she said, we're the church. Well, she might not have been the church, but I am. Because I've been born again, God caused me to be born again, not of anything I was doing that was worthwhile, but it was just his own will. When we are the church, we are the elect of God, chosen by God, given the Spirit of God by God. Nothing is of ourselves. It's all by the will of God. But we who have the Holy Spirit learn 
to hear when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we recognize his voice and we follow him and that keeps our own flesh crucified because instead of doing the sin that our flesh wants to do, we now have the Spirit to show us the will of God and we deliberately choose to go in that direction. I've done quite a few recordings, quite a few podcasts on the subject of following God by His Spirit. So if you want more information on this, you can easily find them on our podcasts, which are listed on Jesus Ministries' exhortation blog. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.